you can't be a one-trick pony. People that are good for 10 years is the people that are malleable and flexible and can get great outcomes um, regardless of, of their sort of sales playbook, right? We are back with another episode of the Elite Selling Podcast. We are your hosts, Frankie and Griffin. Today, we are joined by enterprise sales legend, Dan Cutler. Dan is the head of enterprise sales, the Bay Area at Google Cloud. Dan has been a leader at companies like Particle and Box. He started his career selling at EMC and Xerox. And today we are talking about the fundamentals of enterprise selling, why it is so important to master the fundamentals. What are the fundamentals of enterprise selling, especially in this tough, challenging economy in 2023? It's, it's a necessity to master these enterprise sales fundamentals. So Dan, let's jump into it. Here we go. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Doing great, Griffin. Frankie, good to see y'all. And uh, thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely. We appreciate you jumping on. Um, as we were just prepping a couple minutes ago for today's episode, there are a couple different topics we could talk about. And I wish we would have pressed record because we were already hitting on some great stuff. But I know today we wanted to talk about sort of the fundamentals of enterprise selling. And before we sort of jump into what are the what are the fundamentals of enterprise selling? Um, I think it'd be helpful for for Frankie, myself, our listeners, for you to sort of break down sort of why is this topic so important to you, and and then we we can jump in from there. Yeah. Uh, well, again, I appreciate the opportunity to um, speak to both of you and 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 um, talk to some of your listeners on your platform. But um, you know, fundamentals I think are important because fundamentals require um, or instill you know, a framework that's applicable across multiple journeys in your career. So I doubt a lot of us will have the same job. And those of us that are in sales will be selling the same products, regardless if you shift industries altogether, or if you sit in different categories of technology. I certainly have um, sold many different categories of technology. And I think some early fundamentals that were instilled in me have helped me along the way to be a malleable seller. Um, and even if I'm introduced to a new business or a new product to go and sell or a new buyer, those fundamentals can stay with me. So clearly without those fundamentals, I think I would be a, a less attractive candidate for some of the, you know, career ambitions that I've pursued to date. So um, that's, that's, I think, uh, why they are so important. Look, I'm a, you know, I'm a former basketball player. I play in a couple of men's leagues and I know the importance of the fundamentals. They unlock greatness, you know, elbow in on the jump shot, you know, keeping the fundamentals going. But I also know, you know, the challenges players run into. So basketball players run into the, the challenges without the fundamentals. Um, so where I'm going with this is I would love for you to share with Frankie, myself, our listeners, maybe a time in your career where, not having a good understanding of the fundamentals or not mastering the fundamentals uh, maybe negatively impact you and your career? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I was a, a basketball player myself and um, <laughs> I, I like to stay around the basket a little bit. I knew my game. Um, and so I think that um, simplifying the sales process um, and trying to create repeatable processes and then also learning from your mistakes so that you can master those, those fundamentals is key. Um, when I look at any sales deal in my career that I've won or lost, um, you can look back and, and usually 
if you want to break it down in simplest form, there's there's the why and the how. And if you're selling enterprise technology to a large customer, there's only two reasons they're going to buy from you. Um, it's to save money or it's to make money. That's it. So deeply qualifying um, the why is critical. The how becomes more critical the larger the company you deal with. And I would say if I could look back on the deals that I've lost or have learned from in my career, I don't think that I did a, uh, an adequate enough job of understanding how that company makes decisions and whether or not the person that I was engaging with um, was the right person to either be able to do a deal or champion a deal internally. And so normally what I do see is people sort of lift up in their sales career is when you're selling to a small company, the first person you talk to and the first person you're qualifying is the same person that can make a decision and the same person that can reach into the pile of money. The larger company that you go to, you may be talking to someone that wants to solve a problem and doesn't have the ability to solve that problem. And so we all know about terms like being multi-threaded. Um, when I talk about technology and when I work with the sales reps that I work with today, I also try to break down the how, right? Do you have a technical win? Do you have a problem that needs to be solved where the customer is either making money or saving money? Is that problem funded? And do you have executive alignment for someone that has the authority to make that decision, right? And I think when you consolidate these things and sort of think about them and realize what you don't have, you can then go take the actions to go pursue them as well. And I think what I've learned most in my career is the times that um, maybe I haven't been successful is either I spent too much time with someone that didn't have either a strong uh, why or I spent too little time sort of navigating the how so that I can make a deal happen that was mutually beneficial for the two organizations. Yeah, that makes sense. You dug, you dug into the how there a little bit. Can you dig into the why a little bit more when you're thinking about how people buy or why they would buy? Um, what are you looking for in that regard? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think it, I think it's important to understand. I don't think there's anyone listening to this podcast right now that doesn't understand that you need to understand the way that your company or your prospect makes money. Mm -hmm. um, and their business function in order to accurately communicate and sell to them. Um, so when I talk about the only the two reasons that someone would buy something to save money or to make money, then I think you really have to dig into, hey, am I being attached to a revenue generating project, right? Yeah. So maybe a, a story that, that is a happier one is, you know, at Box, I remember there was a large pharmaceutical company that was just enabling iPads for the first time. And I had worked with them in a previous life and I understood the pharmaceutical industry enough to know that you're either um, between drugs, as they say, you are either pushing new innovation or you're in R&D and you need to be creating that new innovation. This particular customer had just innovated with a diabetes drug and was going to sort of pour gasoline on the fire to go push that out and enable all of their sales reps with iPads. Those iPads needed to have technology on them for the first time ever. And I'm probably dating myself a little bit, but without knowing how the pharmaceutical industry works, without knowing that there was a funded initiative to push mobile technology to sellers so that they could walk into doctor's offices 
with an iPad instead of a pad of paper, I don't think I would have been able to ride that tailwind um, and provide them a content management solution in the cloud to be able to get documents and have doctors sign off on their technology. And by the way, because I knew about that initiative, I knew that the cost of my product was an absolute drop in the bucket from the funding that was going out. And I had an incredible amount of leverage to maximize the size of my deal as well. Right. So kind of leaning into revenue generating projects is certainly more than going out and trying to replace something that is maybe more expensive. But right now we're in a sort of macroeconomic downturn where you also have to acknowledge the fact that the market requires consolidation and your business case may need to include cost savings as well as revenue generating projects as well. Yeah. So you mentioned right there, I think the key nugget, but that I don't want to pass over is you latched on to one of the company's largest initiatives. And because you were able to sort of marry your solution with one of the top initiatives, you found success, right? Going back to the why, how do you see elite enterprise sellers getting to the why faster? We talk about fundamentals. We talk about asking the right questions to uncover the why, to uncover the how. Um, what, what have you seen work very well to get to that why fast? Because I think a lot of sellers struggle with getting to that why or getting to that how quickly. Yeah, I think it really comes in, in qualification, right? So like our jobs as sellers is to extract information that perhaps we shouldn't have. And in many ways, you know, our customers sort of ambition is to get as much information with sharing as little as possible, because ultimately we're leverage brokers, right? Once you break through the leverage brokerage game, you can play the partner game. But, you know, I've seen a lot of, of elite sellers realize that every interaction is an opportunity to qualify and to share information, to provide technical resources, to share pricing without really deeply qualifying why that information is being asked of, of them or who is being asked for it. Is there a, a, a project that is sort of backing this? Is there a top-down initiative? Every opportunity is an opportunity to qualify, including support issues as well, right? So I think I joke sometimes, never waste a crisis, but like our jobs to solve problems for our customers right now. And I think the best sellers I've ever seen have made sure that they don't share any asset that they have, regardless of what that is, without getting a reciprocal amount of information back. And sometimes that information is, I'm not dealing with the right person that is empowered to make this decision and that I need to get more access and get more deeply embedded within the organization or align executives from our respective companies before I give up that asset, regardless of what it may be, right? Demos. Again, you know, the golden goose is the pricing, right? So but, ultimately yeah. that is your currency and withholding that until you have the information you need and want is, is probably where I've seen the best sellers and leverage brokers be successful. Dan, let's, let's do a role, a role play real quick. I don't want to put you on the spot too much. Let's say, let's say this is the first time we met, we're on a zoom call and I'm the buyer you're selling to me. And I'm like, okay, can we just get to the demo? Like I, I've read enough about you guys online. Let's get to the demo. What are you saying back to somebody? Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, the, the knee jerk reaction, we all get put in these positions, right? We all get put in these, Hey, just give me a demo. Hey, just give me pricing. Right. 
there are certain strategies that you can implore to try to qualify to make sure that that engagement extracts more information. If you ask mm -hmm. me for a demo, hopefully I have a product that's malleable enough to solve more than one problem. So I would like to understand more about what to demo. I do not, yeah. I think, I think demoing, you know, regardless of whatever your product is, um, out of the box without understanding what problem you're trying to solve and who's trying to solve it would be a waste of both of our times. So why don't we start with an understanding of what your demo would want to look like so that I can custom tailor it. And by the way, I think it would probably be important that once I create this custom demonstration, if there are other stakeholders involved, that we curate those people and bring them together. And furthermore, if that person is unwilling to share that information with you, it's a pretty strong signal that you're being boxed into a corner and it's okay to say no, sometimes it's wrong. Yeah. Why do you think that's so hard for sellers to, to do that and to have pushback with their prospects or customers? Well, I mean, I think we're, we're all chasing the rabbit, right? We're, we're in a challenging market where our businesses are requiring us to grow and the market isn't necessarily growing at the same rate uh, that we're probably all being quoted. Um, and it's easy to take shortcuts, right? Yeah. Um, certainly I've done it before, but the reason it's hard, as you called out, Frankie, is like there's a lot of readily available information out there. Um, and customers can do their a lot of their own due diligence with or without you. So um, I think it's a hard decision to have to make to say, hey, should I shut down this engagement if I don't have all the information I need because I'm behind my quota and my boss wants to see me be successful here. But I can assure you that as a sales leader now, um, shutting down a, a conversation that isn't qualified or isn't validated will certainly not uh, trigger me as a sales leader as much as a six month wasted engagement where the rep, the rep misrepresents the opportunity because they have wasted time, money, and resources without properly qualifying the opportunity. And that's both on the why and the how, right? So um, it's a dangerous game to play, but I think as a leverage broker, the right game to play is to make sure you have all the information you need before you give up the information the customer wants. Yeah. I mean, coming back, you just said it full circle. It's, it's the fundamentals and no matter if you're zero percent, uh, two hundred percent of your quota, it's twenty twenty three or twenty twenty when money was cheap. That's why fundamentals are so important. So, I love that you're bringing that point up. It's good. So, Dan, we've talked about the fundamentals, right? Understanding the why, understanding the how, business qualification, um, being a successful leverage broker, gathering all the required information, the requirements before getting into sharing any sort of information from your side. One of the key things you mentioned a little earlier was um, elite sellers get to the right people or maybe an average seller is struggles with spending time with the wrong person, thinking they're the right person. I'm guilty. hundred percent. Like I spent time with people that I thought was a, you know, someone I thought was a champion and they were a detractor. Uh, how do you see sellers at, you know, companies you've worked with yourself? Like how do the, the great ones navigate the internal hierarchy and the political structure of who is the right person or who is, who is the right group of people to make a freaking decision? 
Yeah. I think uh, you, you sense my frustration. I'm going through yeah, that right now. No, I mean, look, <laughs> as being uh, easy to say as, you know, either a second or third line salesperson to give this sales advice to your listeners who may be on the front lines who yeah. have just sent out a thousand emails to get a conversation with anyone and you need to take that call and then you build a relationship with that person and then you're a little nervous that that person is or is not the right person, but you're you're cautious of overstepping them because they're the one person that gave you access, right? Um, it's very, very difficult. I should not advertise this as a simple game we play. Um, and the good ones get paid a lot because they understand how to sort of break the code every once in a while. Um, the best ones I've ever seen have really leaned into the individual motivations of the people they're engaging with. Um, and also have not been shy about sort of broadening the relationship for the benefit of that individual, right? And if you work at a company that supports their sales reps the way that all sales organizations should, you should have sales leadership, product leadership, expertise, all the way CEO down that for the right type of company and the right type of opportunity maybe allows you to not sell alone, right? So someone is keeping you sort of in a corner and not letting you out of that corner, you know, you may find that they are an adversary, which is all the reason that you do need to overstep and sort of re-navigate um, below or above them. Uh, but you also need to not sell alone. And this is why when there is an opportunity for you to sell with leadership, if you have a good manager, that manager is not trying to steal your shine or or steal the 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 sales deal. They should be there for you to understand that you have built a personal relationship with someone, and it is awkward to overstep and get additional information as well. So becoming multi-threaded is a multi-party game. Um, to go back to your basketball analogy, like if you realize you're playing one-on-one. -on -one, you should pursue three on three. And I'd say one anecdote I would give to your listeners is like, I remember being young in my sales career and thinking that I asked, uh, I asked a CTO who I think we'd broken through that relationship. I said, how, how do you navigate through the hundreds of salespeople that are trying to get time from you? Um, and he had a pretty great anecdote that I think changed my general attitude and hopefully can help with your, your listeners' attitudes, which is, he said, Dan, I don't have thousands of people who wake up every day that get compensated like you do to help me identify good ideas. Some of the greatest ideas that I have ever implemented at my company as a buyer have come from salespeople from other companies. And so I think part of the the way to navigate and not get single threaded is to have the confidence to realize that like you are being paid handsomely and probably more handsomely than the internal technology teams or the disjointed sort of go to market teams on your customer side to come up with ideas and solutions with your technology and that you should have the confidence to become multi-threaded and turn that one-on-one -on -one game into a three-on-three -three game. And that can be valuable for your champion. That can be valuable for the first person you talk to you can get that person promoted if they show up with an excellent idea, with a custom demo, 
with executive access to someone that can change the sort of landscape of the company. And having that attitude versus just being a vendor, I think is key for giving you the confidence to sort of make sure that you're not being stuck in that sort of one-on-one, just information trading relationship. We call that over here at uh, People AI, understanding or getting to the personal win. Like what is the personal win behind this potential champion? What's driving them? Um, you mentioned it. it could be a promotion. Bring it back to basketball. It's like if you're not, if you don't have the fundamentals mastered, and someone's trying to teach it to you, you kind of have to say, like, look, if you master these fundamentals, you're going to increase your, you know, scoring points per game is going to go from ten to twenty five, right? You're going to, you're going to, you know, knock it out of the park. So that that personal winch really driving that home, I think, is something that um, is not talked enough about when you're you're looking for a champion. Yeah, they could have power. They could have influence to sell on your behalf. Um, they might have the right connections, but if they don't have something that's, you know, driving them internally to bring you on board, it's going to be a tough, tough sale. Yeah, Kyle, I interject that. there. Yeah, go ahead. I was going to ask, like, how, because I was going to say the same thing to a certain extent that Griffin just mentioned about the balance of coming in from a professional win versus a personal win. Like, I tend, and I think most people do, tend to lead with a professional win but like what's your what's your balance of like going in with a personal win versus professional win like right up front like do you do you have a, a process to it or do you think it just comes up naturally i'm curious your thoughts yeah i don't think i don't think you have um i mean that's the art right i think i've talked a lot about the science and the fundamentals that were instilled and you know, at a very early time in my career. Um, now you're talking about the science part, right? You're talking about the interpersonal skills that yeah. are just simply required in this job. And I would be foolish to try to guide your listeners to understand. It's, I think it's more more awareness than anything, right? Is what we're talking about. Yeah. More awareness, yeah. I believe so, right? I mean, you need to have your eyes and ears open at all times. And I mean, again, best sales reps I've ever seen have somehow figured out a way to extract information that they probably shouldn't have. Um, and sometimes they extract that information because they've uncovered that there is a motivation for that individual, right? We've all been in situations where we have a champion that says, man, I want this deal to happen. This is the right thing to do. It's my charter. I have an OKR to finish this. Security team doesn't love this. They think it in, that increases the security risk profile. CFO thinks it's too expensive, right? And I would flip that also internally that there's great sellers on our side, right? Our side being you, you all at People AI or whoever, wherever your, your listeners are, is that you're probably going to have to motivate and understand the motivations of the people internally at your company and what's in it for them as well. I'm sure everyone listening here that has done a large deal has had to do something non-standard and had to advocate on behalf of people that maybe don't have a commission check coming to do this deal, right? What's in it for finance to provide some unique discounts or some you know, tweaks to the licensing model, understanding things that are scalable or not scalable, having empathy um, both externally and internally. Um, that's just EQ. That's That's just the things that I think we are born with and we develop as sellers as well. Um, I think we can control the science more than we control the arts, but sure, certainly 
you know, the more free throws you take, um, probably the the better you get, right? So the the uh, I'll stop doing basketball analogies soon. Michael is loving the mostly to stop fouling out. Uh, it was yes. twenty five. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I love it. But yeah, to your point, I mean, the, the, the more repetitions you take and, but it's, but it comes back to you, you can practice, you can practice the wrong fundamentals. Like you can have the, the, the wrong set, or you can do this, the, this one activity over and over again. But if it's, if it's not the right, um, if you're not asking the right questions, if you're not getting to the right people, but you're doing it consistently, that's, it's almost like a wasted effort. Um, so uh, as we kind of wrap up here, like, give us some, some ideas of non-negotiable or um, things that reps can't do from a fundamental perspective, like something that we got to immediately reps need to stop doing that you see mediocre or average reps do on a consistent basis that if they just eliminated this one thing, this mistake, uh, it would improve their performance that you've seen. I'm curious if there's anything top of mind for you. Yeah, I mean, I just... I, I know I've, I probably said it ad nauseum, but like, you know, are you chasing tennis balls? Hey, can you send me a white paper? Can you, can you give me a demo? What's the pricing? Right. You're done once you give that stuff up. Cause that's your opportunity to get information back. Right. So, you know, if you are fortunate enough to find yourself in an opportunity to share information and get into that, information brokering situation, the the ones that will fail are the ones that sort of give up the goods without getting them in return. Um, well and, said. you know, if I could, um, you know, I, there's a lot of amazing sales books out there. Um, certainly a big fan of the challenger sales mindset. Um, but I look way back. I look back when I was 22 years old, 23 years old. Um, and uh, my sales manager said, read this book. It's called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. And you probably hear me talk in like one, two, threes and sort of very binary kind of strategies. And because the concept of that book was uh, green lights, yellow lights, and red lights, uh, what you hear throughout the sales process that allow you to progress, pause, or stop. Right. And then I'm going to look even further back because I have a four year old son and I read him a book last night called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. <laughs> and if you, any of your listeners have read that book, the book goes like this. If you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to ask for a glass of milk. And if you give the glass of milk, they're going to want to draw a picture. If they want to draw a picture, they're going to want to take a nap. Okay. If you start becoming a tennis ball chaser, your customers will walk all over you and you will have no leverage when it comes time. To, to do business. So, you know, don't be afraid wherever you are in your career, um, regardless of whether or not you have kids or not and want to read that book or want to read um, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. That one is what I tell every young salesperson to go read, that it's every engagement is an opportunity to qualify and an opportunity to tilt leverage in your hands and to not yeah. give up information without getting what you need for them. Is uh, to give your mouse a cookie on Audible. I got a couple extra credits. It, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's got to be. Uh, it's Will a, you read it to us? It's, uh, <laughs> it's about a minute and 15 second read. If uh, you could probably, 
You could probably go ask AI to just uh, there read you go. right now. So talk about fundamentals. Just reading children's book, you can learn a lot from them. Yeah, you got to dribble before you can shoot. Sorry, I got one more in. No way, yeah, I love I it. Keep I Griff is Griff is riding really high right now. I think we're about number six on the basketball analogy. So keep it going. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. love it. Any. Awesome. Uh, Dan, ahead, anything before we ask our final question, anything else that you want to implore our listeners to do when it comes to fundamentals, anything we didn't talk about before we wrap up with the last question? Um, you know, I, I think that like, this is a stressful time, um, for, for all of us right now in the market. Um, those of us that are lucky enough to have a job are probably being asked to do more with less right now. And I do think that having the empathy and following trends, both in the world and, and in the economy and understanding your customer and creating a business case right now is more needed than it was in the cycle that was growth over, over anything. We are in a value over anything cycle right now, right? So you see public traded companies touting their slowing growth, but improved price to earnings ratio right now. I can assure you your proposal is getting scrutinized three times harder now than it was four years ago. And that doesn't mean to build a better proposal. It means every step along the way, you got to dig in and make sure that if you were on the other side, would you make this purchase? If you own that company, um, I remind myself of those things constantly. And I would say, make sure that you partner with your sales organization and your leadership team and your entire company to help you accomplish that. Because if they're not, they're doing a disservice to you as well. Um, so that'd be my final anecdote for your final question. Amazing. That got one home. more for you. Yeah, that hit, that, that definitely hits home. Um, it's funny as we're about to ask the final question, how would you define an elite seller? Our, one of our last guests, uh, he defined it as, you know, basically Michael Jordan of sales. So that now, now I'm never, you, you answer however you want, you know, however I'm logging you, off. I'm done here. However you see, uh, or define an elite seller. I think you've given us some great points, but we'd love your take on that. Yeah. Just totally malleable sellers, right? Um, someone that can go low and can go high can create that business case and get to that final income, um, outcome, no matter where their entry point is. Right. I know there's some people that just have the ability to get to the C-suite, but if they walk into the C-suite without, you know, a firm understanding or other relationships or don't have the ability to then go advocate and empathize with the technical teams that need to make this decision, the business unit that is going to be take most advantage of this, um, sometimes you have to enter lower than you'd like to, right? Um, you can't be a one-trick pony. Um, I think back to the greatest sellers I've ever worked with. I've seen one or two years of people that are good at one or two of, of, of things, you know, have, get some shine. People that are good for 10 years is the people that are malleable and flexible and can get great outcomes um, regardless of, of their sort of sales playbook, right? So the world's going to change. You have to change with it. Um, and the sales process is going to change too, right? Um, I think preparing for this, Griffin, I joked, my sales arc is um, hardware to on-prem software to cloud-based software 
to embedded technology um, with firmware um, to cloud infrastructure. And now I'm talking about artificial intelligence, right? So if you're not constantly learning, you're going to die. And um, I think the best sellers are malleable in a way that they can keep up with the times, remember their fundamentals, but also not be a one-trick pony in how they find success. Mike Great. Trump. Yeah. Love Next it. up, you'll be you'll be selling flying cars as your as your art continues. <laughs> I hope I'm I hope I'm retired in a, a <laughs> men's adult slow basketball league. I'm not not selling yeah. much. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. I don't think we're too far off. Working on Dan, the side thanks of for thanks for joining us today. You know, if you got any more basketball jokes, one more time. We'll, we'll <laughs> uh, I duck. Go Warriors, though. Sorry, Tom. Go Dubs. Look yeah. at that. Oh yeah. man, perfect yeah. ending. Awesome, Dan. Appreciate you jumping on. This has been a great conversation. Um, thank you again, Frankie. Myself, our listeners, can't thank you enough. So have a have a good uh, good rest of month quarter. We'll talk to you soon. And thanks for joining us today. If you're not following Dan already, be sure to go check him out on LinkedIn. A few awesome takeaways that I had are number one, focus on the fundamentals. Like you heard him talk about, it can be translated no matter what industry you're in, no matter what time you're in, and it's always going to serve you well in your career. So focus on the why, the how, and the people. And then underneath all that, making sure you're doing deep discovery in every single scenario, every single chance that you get. So be sure to listen to this episode multiple times. There were so many good nuggets from it. Thanks again for joining us, Dan.